Um, it's good to hear the Bible pages turning, hear the thumbs on your devices or whatever you may be doing. Let's uh, pause before the Father, and I just want to give you a moment to cast your cares on Him. Just whatever is on your mind, whoever's on your mind, whatever situation, just give those things to Him right now. Would you like the Lord to speak into your life? Ask him just to speak into your life right now. Present yourself to him, come to him, and he will speak to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we approach uh, Matthew 21 this morning, Jesus is right now at this moment at the, uh, in the final days of of his, his life and fulfilling his purpose for his coming as the sacrificial lamb, a lamb without blemish, uh, the ultimate Passover lamb who would give his life for the sins of the world. He and his disciples are, are traveling through Jericho. Uh, they're on their way to Jerusalem, and uh, they're approaching the Mount of Olives. Now, I just have to say that all of this has taken on new meaning for me now that I've been to Israel, because <laughs> I can get the image, like I'm right there, standing uh, on the Mount of Olives on one side, on a hill over here, and looking over the Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount, okay? <laughs> and it's just not all that far away, so you can imagine Jesus and his disciples getting ready to start coming down the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley as they uh, make their approach to Mount Zion, and Mount Zion is where the temple is located. Now, crowds are flocking to the city at this point. They're coming from all directions because it's time to prepare for the Passover feast, and the Passover feast is that great holiday when Hebrews remember the time when God delivered them from their bondage in Egypt. Okay, we call it uh, the Exodus, and, and so everybody comes there once a year uh, for, this, for this great celebration. Now, news of Jesus has been traveling incredibly fast so that the pilgrims who are now coming for the feast are hoping that Jesus will show up at the temple, and a very real uh, part of them is hoping that he will come in power to establish his earthly kingdom. Well, Jesus does show up, but he doesn't come as a, a warring king on a horse or in a chariot. Instead, he comes as a peaceful king on a donkey's colt. Uh, Jesus knew that the way things would unfold in the next several days would be rather terrifying in some ways, amazing in other ways, and that many of the people who were there would come to recognize that Jesus truly was the Messiah and they would carry that news home with them wherever they went. So this is where we pick it up in Matthew 21, verse 1. It says, As they, as Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, go into Bethphage, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Now the other Gospels... Uh, let us know at this point that this colt was unbroken. In other words, this colt was not ready to be ridden. And the fact that Jesus would ask for this colt to be brought to him and just get, get, get on it and start riding 
uh, proposes to us two things. The first is, is that traditionally objects that were used for sacred events were objects that hadn't been used for anything prior. Okay, so this is a sacred moment. But the other thing, you know, you might look at that and think, well, Jesus must be a pretty amazing writer if he can get it on an unbroken cult. But that's not what this is about. This is about Jesus having dominion over creation. Okay, and many will suggest to you that the cult's mother was brought along to keep the cold calm, but we know how animals respond living in Estes Park, and that cult's mother was brought along to keep the cult's mother calm, okay? <laughs> That's what's going on here, truly. Jesus is able to ride on this cult that had never been ridden before because he is truly God in the flesh. So now we continue back to verse 2. Where Jesus says, so untie them when you find them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. In other words, he'll get them back to you right away. So as I suggested, by this time, Jesus is really well known. Uh, The only answer the disciples needed for this owner of this cult is that the Lord needs them and the owner would gladly uh, oblige him. But please do not let that diffuse the miracle of what's going on in this situation. Jesus couldn't call ahead and order a colt, okay? Jesus has divine information. And the miracle here is that Jesus knew exactly where the disciples would find the exact colt that was needed. And that once they found it, that the owner would gladly loan it to Jesus. Now, interesting thing about donkeys and, uh, and, and, and colts. Valerie's dad, uh, for quite a few years now, has uh, enjoyed raising donkeys, okay? Uh, he doesn't have as many as he once had right now, but he still has a few. He just loves them. He's built donkey carts over the years, and he's uh, used them in parades and such. But if you go out to his farm and you walk out to the corral and, and look at his donkeys with him, he will gladly point out to you some interesting markings on a donkey's back. Now, I brought an image of a donkey's back that I want you to see, and I want you to notice that there's a vertical stripe that runs the entire length of the spine combined with these two horizontal stripes that run across each shoulder, okay? They're forming the shape of a cross. Now, you don't find that on mules, and you don't find that on horses. You only find that on donkeys, And ancient legends suggest that this cult that would carry Jesus into Jerusalem for the triumphant entry on this first Palm Sunday, that this this cult had compassion on Jesus and somehow understanding what Jesus was going to face, offered to help Jesus carry his cross to Calvary. But he was rejected. And as that cult turned to leave, the shadow of the cross fell on its back And there it has been ever since. Now, I'm not going to suggest to you the validity of that legend. Okay, I think it's very interesting to consider. But what I would challenge you to consider is the detail of our Father God creator in his creation that he would put such marks on the very animal that would carry Jesus into Jerusalem for the triumphant entry. All glory to God for that. Huh? to bless the saints and to encourage us because that's exactly uh, what I experienced when Valerie's dad pointed that, that out to me. A couple of applications here right off. 
Have you allowed the shadow of the cross to fall on you? Are you marked with the cross as a testimony to the world of the transforming power of Jesus Christ? Let the cross fall on you. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Amen? Yeah, let's go on. Verse 4. So this took place to fulfill what was written through the prophet. Okay, Jesus getting this cult, asking for this cult, was written to support and to fulfill what was written by Zechariah, uh, written in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, some 550 years prior. Okay, and here's the prophecy from Zechariah right here in Matthew 21, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now right here, I need to point out that the other gospel writers only mention the colt. Matthew is really clear at this point in mentioning both the colt and its mother, both the colt and its donkey, because Matthew wants his readers to understand what is going on. It wasn't just a colt. It was a colt and the mom, the donkey and her colt. That's what's happening because he wants them to see that the messianic prophecy is being fulfilled. Carrying on verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. He sat on the cloaks that were placed on the colt. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And as I mentioned a, a moment ago, uh, Jesus, by riding in on this unbroken colt, proves his deity. Uh, we don't typically think in our culture of riding a donkey as being a big deal. But if you understand Jewish culture, this was the way they celebrated royalty, by parading them through the streets on the back of a donkey. And so right here, they're proclaiming Jesus to be king. Furthermore, by spreading cloaks and palm branches in front of them, in front of him, they're paving the road in honor of this king. That's exactly what's going on here. So this crowd is affirming Jesus as king. So we see two things at work here. We see Jesus God and we see Jesus man. We see Jesus God king who has dominion, rulership over all creation. And we see Jesus earthly king being recognized by the people. All glory to God for those kind of things that the scripture points out. But this is one of the few places in scripture where Jesus actually allows the people to declare his glory. And the reason here is because it's an indication that the fulfillment of his time is at hand. So he's boldly declaring himself 
a king by riding in on a donkey. The crowds are gladly joining in, recognizing there's something unusual going on. So this is the time for Jesus to announce who he is, that he's indeed the Messiah, and it is set on the day when the masses in Jerusalem are at their largest. It's all according to to prophecy. Okay, now having given you that phrase, let me go back and just articulate two reasons why Jesus at this moment is allowing people to proclaim him king, to recognize him as Messiah. The first one, as we saw in Zechariah 9.9, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, just how much of prophecy the people understood, we don't exactly know, but they knew this prophecy Yes, they misunderstood the prophecy in, their, in its entirety, but they were recognizing what they had been taught, and they were tying it exactly to Zechariah 9.9, so fulfillment of prophecy. The second is, by fulfilling prophecy, Jesus would now be forcing the hands of the religious leaders. You see, the religious leaders hated Jesus, and they wanted him dead now, but it was inappropriate to take someone's life during the Passover, so they were determined to wait until after the Passover. But the prophecy in everything about Jewish history said the lamb must be slain on Passover. It had to happen. And so this is the situation. Jesus, the Passover lamb. Over the years, since Moses delivered the people from Egypt, that the Jewish people, in keeping with what God had said to them, take a lamb, and they have that as their feast on that day. It's all representative of the ultimate Passover lamb, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what's happening here. Fulfillment of prophecy and needing these religious leaders to act on Jesus right at Passover. It's all according to God's plan. Is that awesome or what? Huh? You get just a little bit excited about this stuff? Man, I do. It's, uh, just getting to study it just blesses, my, blesses me right out of my socks. <laughs> so the crowds here, they're shouting Hosanna. Uh, but in a few days, they're going to succumb to political pressure and, and we'll find them deserting Jesus. Here we are today. We recognize Palm Sunday. We recognize the triumphant entry. We recognize what God has done through all history. And here's an application that I need you to get right here. And then as we move forward, I'm going to focus on this, this application along the way. You're going to hear other applications, but this is primary as we move forward. Here's the application. Let this day, let this Palm Sunday, let this day we remember the triumphant entry remind us to guard against any superficial acclaim of jesus christ did you hear that let this day remind us to guard against any superficial acclaim of jesus christ in other words let's not try to squeeze god into our god box He cannot be squeezed into our limited understanding. So the people shout Hosanna. The actual Greek pronunciation there is Hoshana. And it's another prophecy. It's taken from Psalm chapter 118 verse 25 that says, Save Yesha now, nah, do you hear it? Yeshana, we say, Hosanna, I pray, O Lord, 
O Lord, I pray, send new now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What is going on here is the crowd is absolutely aware that what they are witnessing is fulfillment of their prophecies. They, they just couldn't grasp where Jesus' kingship at this moment was currently leading them. And because Jesus does not do things the way they think that he should, in other words, because Jesus doesn't fit into their, their, their God box, the same crowd who shouts Hosanna on Sunday will cry crucify him on Friday. It's because they were giving him superficial acclaim without full understanding of who he is. Now, here's another application, but don't lose the one that we're focusing on. Is God not performing according to your expectations? Has there been a time in the past where God hasn't performed according to your expectations? Has his perceived lack of response caused you to give up on a dream? or a calling, or even to give up on God. And may I suggest to you that perhaps it's your perspective that needs to change and not your perspective that needs to change God. It's just a thought right here. Let this day remind us to guard against any superficial acclaim of Christ. Do not try to squeeze God into your box. Verse 10, still in... uh, Matthew 21. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. That word stirred, you might want to just circle it. It's the the Greek word sio, from which we get words like seismic. It it means that, that the whole city literally quaked. It shook. As people asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And again, that shows their lack of understanding because even today we have those cults that want to say Jesus was merely a a prophet. But Jesus was more than a prophet. Jesus was God in the flesh. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked Jesus. And then he quotes from Psalm 82, and he answers, From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, about two miles away, where he spent the night. What was it about these people shouting Psalm 118 that just irritated these religious leaders. What was it about the people shouting Hosanna to Jesus? Blessed is he who comes to the Lord. That was irritating these guys. I'll tell you what it was. It was the fact that they knew the messianic prophecies. And they knew that what the crowd was claiming. Was that Jesus was the hope of Israel. The long expected one. The Messiah himself. And they did not like it. Because Jesus didn't fit into their box. 
Now, right here, I need to jump over to Luke chapter 19 and cross-reference this just a little bit. And even though we focused on this uh, part of the scripture last year at this time, because we did a complete study of Luke, I think it's very valuable to look at it again here. Uh, first, Luke 19:40 that suggests Jesus' response, or that tells us Jesus' response to these religious leaders was, went like this, and it was probably both, where Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And I have to wonder sometimes as we see seismic activity on our planet apparently coming in closer and stronger increments and we hear statements like we've never seen one like this before if the reason there's so much seismic activity is because there's a lack of praise to God who is creator and king if we keep quiet the stones will cry out in the application here let us silence the stones by giving God the glory due his name and here yeah you can give God praise for that Amen. Because the truth, the truth is this, either we're silencing Jesus because of our lack of faith, or we're silencing stones by giving him the honor and glory due his name. Amen. Anybody want to be some stone silencers today? Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you give a shout of praise then, huh? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Now, verse... 41, I'm still in Luke 19 because I just value this prophecy so much here. This is verse 41, especially now that I've been over there and I see all, have seen all this stuff. Thanks to you guys sending me back in December uh, and Valerie too. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Just look at that. Jesus wept over it. You see that? He wept over the city. Jesus did. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. I, I just get so concerned, and, and I just appreciated one of the guys on Thursday night highlighting that he is not anxious for Jesus' return because there's too many people in the world who still need to know Jesus. I just, that, that is given to him by God. And when Jesus recognized that people weren't coming to him, it caused him to weep. And we need to weep and cry out for those who don't know the Lord. It's a valuable application right there. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. And here's the reason why, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you it didn't say the time of a prophet coming to you it said the time of god's coming to you and about 40 years later 70 a.d uh, this prophecy was fulfilled when the roman soldiers under the leadership of titus came in and they made sure not one stone was left upon another god's prophecies do happen but right here, I need to point out that there are basically four groups of people that are witnessing the triumphant entry of Jesus in Jerusalem on this day. There were the Roman soldiers. And, and to the Roman soldiers, what was happening really wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, a parade for royalty, come on, palm branches and a donkey, to them, just no big deal. If anyone knew how to celebrate their leaders, it was the Romans. Huge celebrations for their kings. But what the Roman soldiers were watching was a potential uprising 
of the Jews against the Romans. And so they were paying attention to this. In fact, some of them were probably at this point being drawn to Christ and to faith in Christ even at this very moment. But they're on high alert as to what's happening with all these people coming in for the Passover, with this, uh, this huge crowd celebrating Jesus, what is going on? We better pay attention. Then there's three other people groups. There's the Passover visitors, and those are the people who travel to Jerusalem from outside of Judea. They have come a long ways. Then there's the local people, and the local people have something very interesting going on in their hearts and their minds because it wasn't all that long ago that... Jesus caused a man to rise from the dead at Bethany, just a few miles away. I mean, if people in that crowd that were from the local area hadn't witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus themselves, most of them probably had firsthand reports of what had happened. And so these people are very curious as to what's going on. And then there's the religious leaders Uh, who are concerned about what Jesus might be up to next and what he might have uh, planned for the Passover. What's interesting about these latter three groups is that each of them is anticipating the coming Messiah. There's a heightened awareness that the Messiah could come at any time, yet all three of these groups of people misunderstood Jesus in his entirety. You see, the religious leaders just wanted Jesus to go away. And it's fascinating that those who knew most about what the Scripture had to say about the coming Messiah were the worst ones at recognizing him, even to the point of despising him and opposing him. Then the other two groups uh, misunderstood his his purpose. They misunderstood his, his purpose. And this is this whole... Uh, application that I told you to hold on to. We must guard against any superficial acclaim for Christ, toward Christ. The crowds of Jesus' day were praising God for giving them a king, but they had the wrong idea about Jesus at this moment. They were expecting him to become a national leader. They were expecting him to restore Israel to its former glory. But they were deaf to the entire message of the Messiah. Messiah. And here's how it works. You need to get it. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, that's from Psalm 118, as I've already pointed out, verse 25. But what does it say just prior to that? What's the context of what they're proclaiming? And if you just back up to verse 22 in Psalm 118, notice what it says there. It says, the stone, the builders, what's that word? Rejected. They had no clue that their coming Messiah must first be rejected. You see that? So it's this The stone the builders rejected that has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What is the day that we're to rejoice in? It's the day that Jesus fulfilled the purpose for his coming. It's the day that Jesus went to the cross. He carried your sins and my sins to the grave and then took took them with him into death 
so that we would no longer have to fear facing a holy God. That's what Jesus did for us. And it's in that context that Psalm 118, verse 25 was written. Hoshana, save us now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <laughs> and friends, it's for this reason that we need to be glad that God has led our church to teach the Bible one book at a time. Because the problem with topical teaching is we tend to focus on the Hosanna save us now, but we miss the stone the builders rejected. And by reading the scriptures together, we have to deal with all of it. And we have to deal with it in context. And that's a gift. It's a gift that guards us against superficial acclaim of Jesus Christ. But right here, this is the day the Lord has made. That tells us, cling to the cross. Cling to the cross. Yes, Jesus is coming again in power, but the only thing that prepares us for his second coming, for his glorious appearing, is, is the thing that he did right here on the cross. The purpose for his first coming was to prepare people for his second coming. Do not despise the cross. Cling to the cross. Embrace it because Jesus' death is your life. And it's your hope of eternal life. But this crowd, when it became apparent that Jesus wasn't going to fit into their boxes, live up to their expectations, they turned against him. It wouldn't be until after Jesus' resurrection that the disciples began to understand it. It's only then that Jesus' words and actions suddenly begin to make sense because the Father opens their hearts and their minds to understand it. And only then could they understand that what Jesus was doing at this time was leading to a deeper and more important thing. They didn't need to be saved from worldly rulers. They needed to be saved from eternal death and suffering and the consequences of sin. And how about you? Can you think back to a time in life when God didn't do things the way that you thought he should, and yet you look back and you can see what he was up to? Can you look back and see how God's hand was actually leading you all along the way? The problem with Palm Sunday, the problem with the triumphant entry, is that it's rooted in a big misunderstanding. Jesus came to be despised and rejected of man, to be humble, even to the point of being nailed on the cross, so that through his life, through his death, we could have hope of life. Let's not try to squeeze God into our little God box. Let's be cautious about superficial expectations of him. He will be glorified. And my hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I wouldn't dare trust sweetest frame, but I'll wholly lean on Jesus' name. Father God, forgive us for limiting you, for getting angry with you and giving up on you when things don't play out according to our plan. 
Teach us, Lord, to trust you in all things for your glory. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. is built on nothing less Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name Let's stand together and let's sing that again My hope is built my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest in his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. shall come with trumpet sound oh may i then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne on christ the solid rock i stand all of the ground is sinking sand all of the ground is sinking sand yes lord on christ the solid rock on christ the solid rock i stand all of the ground is sinking sand all of the ground is sinking sand all the ground is sinking sand. Yes, God, sing this new chorus with us. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord. Lord of all. 
Christ alone. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. And Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. And through the storm, she Christ alone, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, she is Lord, Lord of all. Yes, he is. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the same. 